Welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News, and Views. The place for pets and the people who love them. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Here are your hosts, practicing veterinarians, Dr. Roger Welton and Dr. Karen Lewis. Hello, listeners, and thank you for tuning in for another episode of Veterinary Advice, Animal News, and Views. I am Dr. Karen Lewis, and with me is my co-host and friend, Dr. Roger Welton. And we, before we kick off our episode, um, Dr. Roger, who recently published his first book, um, we're going to kind of spice things up this month. And by the way, right today is September 9th, 2019, for those of you who are listening to the recorded version. So, Roger, spice it up. Hi there, Karen. Nice to talk to you again. Uh, well, so the, the book is called The Man in the White Coat, A Veterinarian's Tale, T-A-I-L, of Love. And we talked about it last episode, if anybody wants to get into that. But uh, we've been a little sparse in the email comments, or they've been comments we don't particularly want to put on the air, and I'll talk about that in a second. But um, we would like some pithy comments and some cool questions. It's always fun, and we'll pick one or two to talk about and a lot of them are interesting and great questions and things that other people want to know about so you will be uh i not randomly i don't want to say randomly selected but we you know we'll, we'll pick a, a good question or two for the next uh, episode uh if there's email submitted before the end of this month that would be september 30th you'll be considered and if your question is aired by karen and i we will send you a free copy of my book signed personally by me so uh, got the emails flow, but one caveat, one guarantee, absolute guarantee that you will not get on the air is if you ask us a question about grain-free pet food. I don't know about well, you, Dr. Karen, but I'm over it. Nope. Yeah. Can't do it. Okay. Oh, hey, what, what email address would they send these what lovely questions to, Dr. Roger? Oh, that's a great question. It's in the, it's in the uh, I always include it in the, uh, the, the show page both at iTunes and at Blog Talk Radio, but it's comments at web-dvm.net. Comments at web-dvm.net. That's where you send it. Let the comments flow. But tonight we're going to talk about diagnostics, why we do them, why they're important, and why we're really doing the pet a disservice when we don't even bother to offer them. And I, I think you... You have a really interesting example of this, Karen. I'd like you to share it because yeah, so it, it frustrated our- me just hearing it. Um, it's still frustrating me. So go ahead and share it with our listeners. Yeah, because our usual pre-show rant we were doing, and um, which our rants are getting like snarkier and snarkier. <laughs> yeah. anyway, they are. God, it's ah. So anyway, stop complaining. Um, I know, <laughs> but um, I have a I have a friend who. Um, is not in the veterinary field at all. And she recently got a dog. It was, she wasn't exactly looking for a dog. It was a friend of hers that couldn't keep the dog and said, do you want it? And she's a good person. And she was like, oh, sure. And so she didn't want to bug me. I don't know why she thought she'd be bugging me. But so she went to a local vet in the area. And our area, there's um, there's some really good vets and there's some really not so good vets. And she didn't know the difference. She Because she got the dog, wanted to get it caught up on shots like that day, you know, and just kind of went to the first place she thought of. So she goes to this place, and um, she talked talk to me about it afterwards, and was like, is this normal? And I said, no, this shouldn't be normal. She goes in the exam room. They Someone comes in, a technician, takes the dog to the back and for a few minutes, and then brings the dog back to her and says, okay, she's done. Then she was like, do I even get to talk to the doctor or 
anything like, oh, no, she's done. So she was okay, I, did she get everything she needs? Yeah, she got everything she needs. Okay. Well, then, this is like several months ago. So she brings the dog to me because the dog has a problem, and she was not overly impressed that she never even saw a doctor at this place. And it actually is a vet clinic. It's not like, just like a low, you know, it's, it's like a low-cost vaccine clinic. It's actually, they call themselves a vet hospital. But um, so she brought the dog to me for a problem, and I'm talking to her, and I'm like, okay, so what kind of heartworm preventative are you on? And she's like, what's that? So we talked about, because, again, she never really had a dog before, and this dog kind of happened upon her. And so I explained about heartworm, how it's carried by mosquitoes, and it doesn't matter if your dog goes anywhere or not. You know, the mosquitoes will come to you. It's a wonderful service that they offer. So um, we got a copy of the records from the old place faxed over, and it says, owner declined heartworm test. So I said, okay. So I went, and I was like, so did they ask you about this? And you said no. She's like, oh, my God, if they would have asked me, I would have said yes, because I'm, like, freaking out now that my dog has heartworm. So how soon can we test my dog? And I'm like, well, we can test her right now. And thank God she was negative. And now we have her on a heartworm preventative. But we've gotten a lot of records from this one particular practice, who I'm not going to name. And um, But all the records say owner-declined heartworm tests. Owner-declined. And we're just thinking oh, the people will just decline the heartworm test. Well, now I'm wondering, are all of these people were never asked. And so how many of these dogs are going to come up with heartworm when the people, if you would ask them, they totally would say yes. I mean, she was like, oh, God, yes. I mean, it was not even an issue. She was like, I walked in there and said, do what my dog needs. And, well, that's one thing your dog needs. So um, so Dr. Roger and I are talking about how you should always ask people, and how they're not asking is boggling my mind, but this isn't meant to just do the clinic. It's just meant to segue into it's our job to give you all the options. You can decide what you want to do or not. And you know what? If I offer you a heartworm test and you decline it, that's your call. But if I need to at least offer it to you and educate you on it, because I'm still shocked, Dr. Roger, how many people who own dogs have never heard of heartworm because they go to these vets who, and like, oh, he's up on all the shots. And I'm like, did the vet? And I'm like, I have a hard time believing all these people have amnesia. You know, <laughs> like, these are intelligent people who yeah. I'm sure if I would have mentioned it, they would have been like, oh, that sounds uncool. So I think they're 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 catering to a particular type of pet owner. And I think what they end up getting some of these, um, un, I guess, unwittingly, I would say, is the right kind of pet owners that actually care about doing everything they can do to keep their pet and family healthy. Um, and, and they're ending up you know, unbeknownst to them in these places that really they're not there to promote wellness. They're there to plug your dog with or cat with every shot under the sun. And I wonder if these patients are even getting examined. Who knows? Yeah, we don't know. Oh, no, they're not. Because when I call for records, I asked for exam notes and they said there weren't any. Weren't any. Okay. So um, I'm like, is a doctor even giving the vaccines in the state of Florida here? It's illegal for anybody but a doctor to give a rabies vaccine. Everything else yeah, well, they don't care about. I think it's an American law, actually, that a, yeah. a licensed DVM. A, a technician can do a distemper, but a rabies has to be by a licensed DVM. But anyway, and I like, just to never see a vet. And you know, so anyway, so we were talking about how, and there's sometimes we don't really love giving these recommendations. You know, there's some that I'm like okay, it's my job to give you all your options and I know which one, I know which one you're going to choose, but yet I still feel like I need to give you all of them. And you were talking about the one that makes you cringe whenever you have to discuss it. 
That'd be Cushing's disease. Yeah. So, um, and, and, and yeah, that one's tough because it's, um, it's a disease where there's too much cortisol in the body and you find it in blood work that they've already spent a couple hundred bucks on. And, and then you ask, ask them the question when you see that one liver enzyme, that one lone liver enzyme that's way higher than the others. And you ask them, is your dog drinking a lot of water? Yeah, as a matter of fact, he's not leaving the bowl. I thought that was curious. I'm like, okay, I think your dog has Cushing's disease. Oh, what do I do to treat it? Well, slow down. Before we get to a diagnosis, we have to run this $300 test. And then once we get, the, <laughs> once we do get the diagnosis, I then need to start on medication. And to verify the dose is accurate, I need to do another $300 test. But the good news is that once... Assuming the dose is accurate that time, but yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I can usually extrapolate and work with it. You know, like I, I can usually like, you know what? We are this close. Let's just up it this much. We're good. Uh, Cause yeah. I, I just, I, I, it actually hurts us to have to throw out that kind of diagnostic workup and, and that, that expense when the dog's not really horribly sick. Right. We're talking it's about stuff that, that happens down the road. Yeah. You know, and yes, it can lead to right sided heart failure and liver issues and all kinds of bad stuff, but you got to, tell this to the owner when, you know, really their dog is drinking them out of house and home, which that's not fun either. But long story short, that, you know, you tell them that, okay, well, we only have to repeat that once a year. But I'm, I'm, I'm like cringing and I, I diagnose, I don't know about you, but I diagnose the Cushing's once a week. Like that's how often I see it. That's between two clinics, but one a week. So once a week, I got to be like, oh, crap. I got to make the Cushing's call. <laughs> you know? Oh, God. I know. I hate that call. You know, and, and so, so, but. But I have to do it. It's my job. And guess what, Dr. Karen? Nine out of ten people do it. So yeah. what if I didn't ask them and I just said, you know what? They're not going to go for this. Their dog's not sick enough to spend this kind of money. They all go for it. And, and so what am I doing to that owner and that pet if I don't make the recommendation when they would very well wholeheartedly do it? I'm doing them a disservice. I'm not doing my job. And that's what really yeah. bothers me and it ticks me off that – just offer it. All they, the worst they can say is no. And again, it hurts sometimes that, you know, you don't, you don't like rejection. You don't like to feel like a gouger, but it's still the right thing to do. You know, thoughts on that? Oh, well, I have, um, there's, oh my gosh, some other vets in our area who apparently don't ever offer referral to people. And I, I'm like a referent. Well, I'm the other end of the spectrum. I refer everything. I'm like, here, if you want it, just go, you know. But um, one of my really, she's she's now a really good client of mine. She came to me for a second opinion. Uh, her cat was having all these weird neurological issues, and they gave it a couple shots of pred, and it didn't get better, and told her to put her cat to sleep. So she came to me for a second opinion, and I did a neurological exam, and I said, I think your cat has a brain tumor. Seven-year-old cat. I'm like, I know it sounds crazy. It's up to you. If you want, there's a neurologist in the area. You can have an MRI and get an answer. She was like, what? You mean there's a way I can get an answer? Spent $5,000 on the MRI and the brain surgery on her cat to remove the brain tumor. How'd that go? (laughs) Actually, it's, uh, well, the brain did great, cat did great, died of heart failure a year later. Okay, but got a year of life out of it, which is, you know, that's like five years for us. At the time, it just like got this weird heart failure. So we're like, so yeah, I mean, she taught this cat to walk again. I mean, like this owner's amazing. But, and the point is, 
she, and she had no idea that there are specialty clinics like 45 minute drive away. She didn't even know veterinary specialists existed. And all her vet had to do was say, hey, if you want this option, cool. And you know what? Yeah, I recommend referral to neurologists to a lot of people. And I'm like, hey, look, it's a $2,000 MRI. If you don't want to do it, I completely get it. And probably 9 out of 10 people are like, yeah, I'm cool with not doing the $2,000 MRI, especially when the animal's not that bad and we're, you know what I mean, we can kind of try some things. But, um, but yeah, and so the point is, if your vet's offering you something that you think is crazy, just know that it's our job. And sometimes what one person thinks is, like, crazy, the other person's like, oh, okay. She was, like, in the car the same day, <laughs> like, going to get her MRI, you know, like, it wasn't a thing. So, and, um, and also, too, thought I just had, if your veterinarian never does recommend going to a specialist, going to a specialist does not mean it's $1,000 to walk in the door. And I tell people this all the time. I'm like, a consult around here is like 150 bucks. Just go get the consult. They'll give you an estimate for what they want to do. If they want to do scoping and MRI, you know, whatever test they need. And then you can decide. But if you don't even go to the specialist, you're not even getting all the information before you say no. You know what I mean? I'm like, at least go there, get their opinion, get a get. And then if they give you an estimate you can't do, okay, at least you know, you know, that you pursued all your options and you made an educated, informed decision as opposed to just assuming. Because sometimes they go to the specialist and they're like, you don't need all that. Here, here's what you got. You know, and like 150 bucks later, you're done. So yeah, can go I, I think of this wonderful, wonderful uh, oncologist that I just, he's joyful to refer to because he's a big believer in laying out options. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is what we're looking at. This is the cost. It, it, and he lays it out in, in, in three different concepts. There's cost, invasiveness, and longevity, morbidity, quality. What are we looking at when we lay out all the options for this particular cancer? And he does it in such a manner that the people leave happy no matter what they choose because mm-hmm. they feel that they've been fully informed. His name is Dr. Soans. He's just amazing. Like the guy is phenomenal. And, um, you know, he, he'll give them an, an option A, B, C, D, and E. And they're not always, the option A is not always better than option E necessarily. There's pluses and minuses of each. And so you can get a lot out of these $150 referrals, like you Absolutely. talked about. You know, that, that you could just walk out of there knowing better what you're facing. Right. So, and, and for a vet to not let you know that that exists, why? I know. Well, because, oh, well, hmm, hmm. one place I worked at many moons ago, they were, it was all about the money. And there are, unfortunately, a handful of vets out there that go like that. And I would refer to a surgery specialist, and they would call the people and say, oh, no, we can do that surgery here. When we can't, but they thought they could. So, um, so there are some vets who want to keep everything there, but most vets, like 95% are people who want the best for your pet and are not looking out to just, you know, make their bottom dollar better. And if it's a surgery that I think the specialist will do a much better job at than I will, God, yes, because you know what? I don't want you I don't want your pet suffering unnecessarily. I don't want you being mad at me. I don't want your pet to have to go through three surgeries and one would have been just fine. You know, so that's why I'm like, hey, if it's something that they can do, by God, Godspeed. <laughs> yeah, and beyond referral medicine, I mean, I've and we talked about this in pre-show as well. I'm in the midst of a case about to do heartworm treatment number three on this poor little dog tomorrow that was going to one of those uh, – 
know those vans that show up at like a pharmacy or at a gas station and oh, open up their oh doors and low, yeah, low cost vet plug them full of plug them full of vaccines and go on their way. Don't even examine. It's one of those. And um, well, lo and behold, the dog's got heartworm, and the owner was very upset about this. And this is a great lady who's obviously going through the expense of getting this treated. Thankfully, we're catching it early. There's no. There's no long-term irreversible pathology that we could see on the echocardiogram and x-rays and blood work is good. But, you know, there's a very conscientious owner. And the only reason she went to this place is because the uh, the person she had adopted the dog from had been – it was, a, it was a, a previous owner surrender. Couldn't keep the dog any longer. So that's where this person had been going. And so she didn't know any better. And because of that, now she's in my office having to go through the expense and you know heartworm treatment it's worth doing but it's not fun for the dog either it's an awfully big needle they got to get in their back you know well they have like they can't exercise and go for walks for you know those months i mean it yeah i mean it it's horrible and and it's so easy to prevent and i'm just blown away all these people who have not been told and like the first like i said the first couple i was like oh maybe they just were told and forgot but i'm when you see a pattern emerge, you know, and like this lady too was never told. Yeah, but she was told that uh, she declined it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and another another big one I see, and I, I know we've talked about this before some time ago, but it really bothers me that stools are not routinely checked. That um, if somebody doesn't bring the stool in, I, at my hospitals, the people are always told to bring the stool in. But if they don't, which sometimes, you know, the dog doesn't cooperate, and maybe dad, you know, husband just scooped up all the poop the night before. There's any, there's no poop to grab, um, or they just forget. Or this is a good one; they they left it on the front porch. <laughs> um, but the bottom line is that they show up without it for whatever reason. We give them an empty poop cup and say, "Here you go. It's prepaid. Drop this at your convenience." And the number of fall or the number of what we call incidental positives that we get that are asymptomatic is astounding since we got more aggressive several several years ago when we got um, aha accredited and became more vigilant about this i was amazed how much parasites i treat it's like every day there's incidental positives and so not only does that put the pet at risk for not having optimal health it also puts the family the human family at risk you got a family with little kids and the dog's walking around with roundworms what can they get yeah, they can catch that parasite and reach reach a certain larval stage that can infect their skin or tragically can even infect their eyeball and make them blind. So families at risk, dogs at risk, cats at risk, just you know, do the stool as well. I think that if somebody is not routining, routinely, I don't want to say aggressively, but professing the value of that test on a yearly basis at least, they're doing you a disservice. My opinion. Oh, I got to tell you, we had, um, <laughs> so we read some of our fecals in house and if we see anything weird or anything that we'll send it out or if it's like a young animal that we know we're going to get a lot of stuff on, we'll send it to the lab. So we kind of do a little bit of both, but, um, there was a, a fecal on a 15 year old dog on harm preventative, reliably, wonderful people. I was like, we'll read it in house. It's going to be negative. You know what I mean? Like it's a dog who doesn't leave the yard much, you know, it's, you know, this dog had hookworms. <laughs> we were like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. he's on heartworm preventative, which takes care of hookworms routine. Like, oh, so, and these people have, like, a five-month-old baby. So we're like, okay, we're calling them now. So um, we call them and tell them, and lo and behold, the owner 
they just moved here, forgot the dog's heartworm pill last month. And then moving and walking their dog at rest stops along the way, moving long distance. You know what I mean? They, they pick up stuff. So it just goes to show because all of our my texts and I were like, oh, the 15-year-old dog fecal, okay, you know. and Because, <laughs> you know, it's always like the young dogs. The puppies usually have more stuff. So you never know. And then the kitten with diarrhea had a negative fecal. I still – that still blows my mind. So, you yeah. know. <laughs> but um, – so, that, yeah. So we're recommending it for a reason because – like I said, even like even the vet gets surprised sometimes. Yeah, I had a giant surprise. You know, when you go to spay neuter a, a dog or cat, we actually recommend a mini profile, and and some vets look at that and be like, "That's ridiculous. It's a puppy or a kitten." Oh, well, explain what a mini profile is. A mini profile is just a little profile. It's not very costly. It gives me liver, kidney values, total protein, you know, some basic, blood. Uh, blood glucose, some basic parameters. It costs sixty bucks, and it just confirms anesthetic safety because yes physical examination tells us a lot but there could be stuff going on that we just don't know well there was this this black pug i'll never forget it six months old coming in for a neuter and i found this dog had a bun and creatinine respectively bun was 104 creatinine was four point something um just to give you a perspective Blood urea. Well, those are kidney levels. So those are kidney yeah, values. Just, yeah. Yep. Severe kidney disease. But uh, the the creatinine, or I'm sorry, the BUN was 104. Like I said, shouldn't be above about 36 in a dog. The creatinine was at 4.2. That should not exceed about 1.6 in a dog. And so we have severe congenital kidney disease in this puppy. So guess what? I didn't neuter him. <laughs> I said we're not doing this. This is a bad idea. Um, we're going to let your dog be intact because unfortunately the diseases that he could develop later in life by not being neutered, he's probably not going to get that far in life. Let's be proactive about protecting his kidneys. He ended up living to four years of age, if you can believe it, but, but we would have never known that. And so we get like a 50% decline on that lab work, but you know, we do find weird, weird things occasionally, and that was a good example of it. And these people really needed to know this, A, because I could have neutered their dog and sent them home on the anti-inflammatory post-operatively. And they made the, his kidneys worse. And yeah. made them worse, and the dog dies. Um, and also, they should know that, listen, uh, th- this, this dog's not as long for this world as you, you'd hoped and wanted. But here's what we can do to facilitate the best possible outcome here. And, uh, you know, that's that's an example. I go back to that one a lot, you know, just when people are like, really, what's the point of this? Why, why do I need to do this? Well, here's 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 one reason. I don't want to scare the crap out of you, but this actually happened. Yeah. Um, and it's um, I was at a lecture once and I forget who it was, but he made a really good point. And it's so obvious and it's so common sense, but it's so true. So whenever we do a lab test or like his example was like a liver biopsy even, which is a, obviously a pretty big deal, much more big deal than like a blood test, you know? Yeah. Um, but he was explaining how when you get these test results back and they're normal and people are like bummed out because he's like, okay, so you have this owner who's bummed out because they spent this money, but they didn't find anything. And he's like, so you have to walk in and say, okay, your pet's not going to die. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know you're probably hoping for some terrible disease. <laughs> but and you think about that, and it's, and we all laugh at you, but we're like, it's true, though, because we're like, sorry, your pet's going to live. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. it's kind of how the angle that we make it. And so, um, but yeah, and so it's why it's, 
And it's easy for us to get caught in that mindset too sometimes. We're like, oh, I didn't find anything. Which, when you have a pet who's sick and you do blood work and it's perfect, you're like, ugh, because you know that that animal is not perfect. You know, you just haven't found it yet. It's but always when a you're, cat. <laughs> you know, always a perfect like, well, blood work. But, but other animals, like if you're like just pre-anesthetic blood for something and it's normal and the owner's are like, oh, I'm like, oh, darn, your dog's healthy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I know like, when so, I get blood work back for myself, I'm like, it's hot diggity. It's good. I know. You know? So, but anyway, I say that, they always laugh. They're like, oh, yeah, that did sound kind of silly, you know, because it's just, it is true, though. But, yeah. You know, I had an experience, uh, God, I want to say, yeah, it's about three three to four years ago. And I learned a great deal from my, my associate doctor, uh, Dr. Dave Fogelberg. He, um, he has no qualms about recommending the gold standard. He never has. The guy just will just put it out there. And if they decline, owner decline, no hurt feelings. He's just like, whatever. You know, I made the recommendation. He's just, he's just emotionally detached in that way when he just says, this is the right thing to do. And, you know, yeah. if, they, if they want to judge me for recommending it, that's not my problem. I'm doing my job. I always respected the heck out of him for that, that, you know, he wouldn't, wouldn't feel that inner cringe, even for the Cushing's call, right? So. Well, yeah, because well, cause some of us feel like, like sleazy salesmen. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes, and, exactly. And, and we hate that. Like, like, we know we should recommend it, but at the same time, we're like, oh, this is like a $3,000 thing, and these people are like literally counting their ones to pay the bill for the visit. You know what I mean? And yeah. you're just like, yeah. No, it's terrible. You, you, and we don't yeah. want to feel that way. Unfortunately, that's the reality of our profession. And so there was this particular case that ended up in my lap because he did the diagnosis and went on vacation. So this dog, this, this cat, how many, how many cases of these do you get a week? <laughs> Chronically vomiting cat. Eating fine, happy, playful, but barfs up its food three times a week. And it's undigested, yeah. right? The puking cat. And, but this particular cat was, um, about the 12 years old at this point. And so that's going to be generally one of two things. It can be proximal or upper GI inflammatory bowel disease, in which case you give them periodic cortisone injections, try some hypoallergenic diet, simple solution there. However, it could also be gastrointestinal lymphoma. And clinically, they look the same until the lymphoma down the road makes them sicker and sicker and sicker and sicker. Um, but 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 here's the the, the beauty of gastrointestinal lymphoma in cats is that you could put them on a very simple chemotherapeutic protocol that's oral and very well tolerated, very affordable, and you only have to dose them once every three weeks. And you have remission rates in upwards of 23 months plus. That's two years plus. So he, I couldn't believe it. He, he put forth the diagnostic workup, which was an abdominal exploratory surgery intake plug biopsies of the stomach and several sections of the small intestine, close the patient up, send them off, $1,800 estimate. Owners didn't blink an eye. They said, do it. Um, and so they went for it, and we diagnosed lymphoma. And I actually, I ended up reporting on the diagnosis, and I initiated treatment. This cat right now is 28 months post-diagnosis and remission. And, wow. and owners are absolutely thrilled. They see me all the time now because I started the treatment. I feel bad because it was Dr. Fogelberg who, who <laughs> made, made diagnostic workup. The reason that was an important turning point in my career was that I used to have this inner cringe making that recommendation because, you know, what if I diagnose inflammatory bowel disease and I could have just thrown a cortisone injection at it and done some special diet and, you know, that's what we're looking at. But at the same time, 
if it's lymphoma, well, that's the wrong thing to do. And here's the, the worst part is you do the cortisone, even if it's lymphoma, it's going to work at first. So it looks like you're doing the right thing until six months down the road, they're getting sick again. So that's just a perfect example right there where, you know, you know how many of those workups I've done at, since then? I lost count because that I, use, I use that story. I tell, I tell the clients I used to have a big problem making this recommendation that a chronically vomiting cat with perfect blood work, I want to open them up and take biopsies. And, you know, that cross-eyed look they give you where they're like, seriously? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. It's easier to now narrate that recommendation because I have that story behind it. And using that story, honestly has made all the difference. And so I'll tell you what, some people still don't go for it. Occasionally they're like, no thanks, I don't want to go that far, not at this age, not at that expense. Let's try the cortisone. No problem, I'll do that, but I'm doing them a disservice if I don't offer them that exploratory, in my opinion. Have you ever had these cases? Oh, yeah. And um, I've had some that I explore, but it's not very common because a lot of people, well, a lot of these, the ones I've had are, are older cats, and they're like, I just don't want to put my 15-year-old cat through that. And, I mean, I I get it. I mean, cutting them open is a big deal, you know. So, um, and other people are like, well, I don't want to treat, even though, like, the, this is, like, the cancer that's easiest to treat ever. Like you said, it's a pill. You give it at home or you can go to the vet clinic if you don't want to give it at home, you know. But it's not like, you know, IV injections all the time. It's once every three weeks. It's easy. But, yeah, but, no, I have clients. And that, that's another cringeworthy recommendation where you're like, Okay, I'm gonna give you all your options, but um, but I uh, we have a traveling ultrasound specialist in our area. He's really good, and he, I mean, obviously the gold standard is a biopsy, but he can actually look at the intestines, and he's been pretty accurate. And he's like, obviously, I can't prove it, but this has a lymphoma look. This has an IBD look, just because he does so much of them, and he's really 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 good at his job. So. People will spring for the non-invasive four hundred dollar ultrasound as it doesn't involve cutting their cat open, you know. I understand and so, that. Yeah, a lot of people start there, and if he's looking and he finds big lymph nodes or you know what I mean, other stuff too, then we're like, I have had cats. I'm like, you know what? Let's just treat lymphoma without the biopsy because he's feel he feels confident of it, and they accept the risks, and they're like, let's just do it, you know. So, um, because yeah, because like I said, the biopsy is the gold standard, but. I guess I'm fortunate to have this ultrasound dude who's really, really, really good. And he doesn't officially diagnose them on the record, but, you know, he can kind of whisper it to me and I can be like, okay, good. You know, so. And that makes sense. You know, you're, you're right. With a 15-year-old, 16-year-old cat, I mean, I reached a point with, you know, I had to say goodbye to one of my cats recently. And in this cat's lifetime, I'd done three surgeries on him. He was has been living with chronic degenerative kidney disease for, we're going on like year or two now at this point. And there was a, you know, yet another condition I could have taken a look at. And he's 17 years old. And I'm going, you know, enough is enough. And I could do whatever I want to do. And there is a limit. And, and I get that. And it's not for us to judge. Because there's other folks that might feel diff- very differently about their 17-year-old cat than I felt about my 17-year-old cat. And it's not, me, it's not for me to judge that. Unless it's something utterly ridiculous. You know, like, I want to um, resect half my cat's face. And, uh, you know, get, yeah. <laughs> go through these crazy measures, you know, I'm going to try to not be privy to that and like, just listen or party to that. I I can't, I can't justify this and I'm sorry. I'm going to, going to have to let you go on your own merry way on that one because I can't get behind ethically that, but there's always limits. But 
within reason, the diagnostics are recommended. Decline them at your pleasure or displeasure, but please try to refrain from judging us for recommending them. It is, we are doing our job when we do that, just like the mechanic is doing his job when he recommends an optimal repair for your car. Not that your pet is your car, but there are some similarities. So, yeah, and I think that's good. And and like I said, and if you ever – I have people, too, who are like, well, why are you recommending this and this? So if you're recommending both, why can't I just do this? You know, and so – because like I said, we both try to give, like, different options. Like, we'll give you the gold standard and we'll give you the runner-up, you know. And um, the runner – sometimes the runner-up isn't bad at all, and sometimes the runner-up's like, we don't like that one either. You know, and so – and if you ask us, we'll be honest with you, and we'll be like, well – this one's really not a great option, but it is an option, you know, versus this one's not that different. It's fine. You know, in my opinion, at least that's what I've seen. So anyway, hopefully this, um, this podcast started out kind of ranty, but it was just meant to be like, Hey, we make recommendations and do diagnostics for a reason. We're not mad at you if you decline them. Uh, and if you, and, or, you know what, if you decline it now and then change your mind and a week later, do it. Some tests are fine that way, you know? And sometimes they're not. So you never know. Anyway, um, I think I beat this dead horse enough. (laughs) (laughs) No, definitely, definitely. And it's just a it's just a reality of what we experience every day. We experience the the consequences, like my current heartwarming case of, you know, that not making the recommendation. And and we experience folks that would have liked to make that or taken that recommendation had it been offered to them. And then there's folks that don't want to be bothered with any of our recommendations, and that's okay too. But um, we at least got to give you the option. So um, let's get those email comments coming. Also, don't forget, comments sometimes spur whole episode topics. That hasn't happened in a while. I really love when that happens. And you get a free book from me. Remember, by the end of this month, September 30th, 2019, submit us an email comment, and I will, if we're read on the air and addressed, I will happily shoot you an email, get your address, sign a book for you, and mail it to you. And a comment or question. Oh, yeah. Anything. Yeah. As long as it's something we talk about. Yes. (laughs) Well, good night, everybody. Nice talking to you. Thanks, guys. Take care. Taking charge of your future starts with taking the first steps. And saving up to $30 a month on Cox Internet with the Affordable Connectivity Program makes those steps easy to take. Whether they bring you to click upload on your first short film or join now for an online book club. Applying is easy. See if you qualify at cox.com ACP. Non-transferable one per household application and eligibility decisions are made by the FCC. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.